This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, everyone, welcome back once again to another fun-filled edition of the DLR Cast, the only podcast by and for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. As always, I'm Steve Long, and my good friend, the dangerous Darren Paltrowitz. Darren, it's been a while. How how are you doing, my friend? It is a pleasure to be connecting uh, almost into March. Time is flying, so I'm looking forward to getting out of this winter. What about you? Climate change isn't that bad. It's been uh, relatively warm in Minnesota most of the time, so go figure. We're in one of those Van Halen phases where there's a lot of little bits of news. There's a lot to go over, and we could sidebar the hell out of this kind of thing. So it's one of those odds and ends episodes while we kind of wait to see what the big next thing is happening. Or am I wrong about that? No, you're you're right. It's been mercifully a little bit quiet from since the last time we broadcast far as incendiary and crazy. And what no, was no. that? There's been the crazy. There's been crazy <laughs> stuff from Dave, just oh. not incendiary. Okay, right. Okay, yes, there has been crazy. I I stand corrected. Yes, there's always some crazy stuff from Dave, but there hasn't been any shoveling of massive piles of dirt about Eddie's marriage or or Wolfie or whatever else, if I recall. Uh, The last week or two, we've seen a few odd dance videos, different things. I don't know what the hell the James Brown video was posted earlier today on Thursday when we record this. So, but your your thoughts, my friend, I know, first off, I guess the big news Van Halen related, and we'll get into this in a bit, is that there is a autobiography of Alex Van Halen coming in October. And I've got a lot of, I got, as I know you do, we've Got some thoughts and some opinions on that. Yeah, coming out through HarperCollins, which is a major publisher, especially for celebrity memoirs. I don't think anyone knew that this Alex memoir was in the works or was coming or any of that. It was just, what did the news break on a Sunday? Yeah, so... I think it broke on Sunday. If I recall, and you're a, you're a publicist, I mean, you're, you're a media guy, so you get their press releases. I don't think I saw an official press release announcement from HarperCollins on this last week. All of a sudden, it started yep. bubbling up everywhere, including the Van Halen news desk. And I went back and looked and said, has news of this book has shown up on the HarperCollins website? And then, I, and then people start seeing it on Amazon. So what generally happens is Amazon gets a data feed from a publisher about eight months in advance. So, and it's very automated. I think you can time it. You can do it different ways, but you get that real early because it is automated and publishers are putting out hundreds of tiles a year. And again, metadata goes in, goes down the system. It goes out to Amazon and anybody who's got a book retail website, barnesandnoble.com, bookshop.com, all those fun places that we put links in our show notes to get Darren's book, the DLR book. Thank you for that great little segue there, Steve. You're welcome. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, well. speaking so of book distro, we know that Alex's book is going to be distributed through Van Halen News Desk or rather Van Halen Store. So that's the place anyone yes. who hears this to buy it from. You get it from right. Jeff Houseman and Van Halen Store. Yes, definitely do that. But as far as the way the news broke, so this feed goes out there. It starts showing up. Whether or not HarperCollins was going to do a big press announcement, I don't know. They certainly didn't need to because once it started showing up in places and people started sharing it and the SEO kicked in, it went nuts. Now, this works great for HarperCollins because the book industry loves and relies on pre-orders. And so this thing is just going to keep building and building. And I saw that... Whatever news hit yesterday, I think, again, it didn't look like it was from a press release, but it looked like the Van Halen News Desk drove this a lot because I saw people mm-hmm. pick up their news 
And I think they're going to have an excerpt coming. But now I'm seeing this on radio station websites and everywhere. And I saw Rolling Stone had a piece a few hours ago today. So mm -hmm. they're off to the races with this. Yeah, well, to clarify, I never got the press release from anybody, not Harper Collins. That's not a publisher, publicist that services me information. They've given me a few books over the past few years, but nothing. Well, it, well, it's it's kind of weird there which places target me because of all the Van Halen coverage and which ones just ignore me. So, for example, seeing that Wolfgang has done his recent round of press, they did a Long Island radio station, but not this guy. <laughs> so I think uh, you never know what Van Halen News is going to reach me and which one will not reach me. Well, what's interesting about this is from what I what I saw went out a week ago mm -hmm. is that it said um, all the all the news that went out everywhere that I saw a week ago it says a post on publisher Harper Collins website and then it said the book is available for pre-order now. And that link goes directly to Harper Collins products page. And again, this is something where they don't need to serve as a press release, really, because this news got out there so organically and is just blown up. Before we go any further, let me just say this. And I may have said this out loud. And this is a what's the word I'm looking for? A mea culpa, whatever. Mm -hmm. Had you asked me, and I probably said this out loud, I the fact that Alex has done a book shocked me. Yeah. I, I it really has. I mean, this is a guy who has done fewer interviews than anybody. In yeah. the Van Halen camp, hasn't spoken to the press. Jeez, and how long? I don't know. Besides statements, as far as anything, sit down. As far as an interview, I don't remember even interviews with him for Modern Drummer around any of the touring or album cycles. And so the fact that a book is coming blows my mind, and it's also got me really psyched. <laughs> yeah, uh, we know the title of the book, Brothers. So obviously, it's going to be about Eddie or Edward, or Ed, or however you want to address him. Ne well never Eddie. Never Eddie, according to <laughs> a quote yeah. I saw <laughs> from him. Yeah, from so that we know. But we do we know if it's a tell-all? Do we know if it's a photo book with quotes? It's, we from what I think. From what but, I read, it's a, it's an autobiography. It tells all, <clears throat> excuse me, from the quote I read from Alex. I mean, it, it starts from when, they were kids and came to America. And and I mean, so it sounds like it's a full, I mean, how much tea is spilled? I would think it's a lot. Now, and here's where I get really curious because the manuscript, if my calendar, if their calendar is similar to ours at all, uh, the manuscript is, uh, well, the actually, would depend. yeah, the manuscript, they could probably do edits, but the manuscript only recently came in. So what I'm within the last four to five weeks, if it's based on our schedule. So, yeah. So <laughs> it's done. That's what you're trying. Yeah. To yeah. So given fine. what, and I'm, you can probably still make edits and it's probably not that much of a photo heavy book, like a coffee table book, which runs on a much longer time frame. Mm -hmm. but, but for a book that's publishing in October for the company that I happen to work for, uh, the man, final manuscript was due in it for us in December. Yeah. So, uh, now, Grant, again, there can be some edits. What I'm getting at is Dave's blowing up over the course of January and all this crazy stuff. I wonder if that's addressed. I wonder if Dave heard rumors that this stuff might be in Alex's book. Did he have any idea Alex's book was coming? It really boggles the mind and kind of gets you wondering 
if any of this is all interrelated, am I am I crazy? No. So once I heard about this and then knowing the lead time, I think my book was due nine months before the the intended release that I had to get the manuscript in. It was still yep. three months. So I'm saying that this was a book. This book is done. Right. I think that my assumption, and this is all based on assumptions here, is the book was already done when it was announced. When Dave went on his bender, his January bender of rants. <laughs> his rant jag. <laughs> yeah, I think he knew that this was coming. And this was him trying to beat Alex to the punch. Yeah, I had some of those same thoughts as well, because yeah, I guess. And I'm not necessarily a conspiracy theorist, although I could certainly go down that rabbit hole often. The fact that these rants from Dave just blew up out of nowhere, like anything with Dave does. But again, we questioned this at the time here on the podcast. Why now? Why in the world? What What are you doing this for now? First off, why? But why now? And maybe those questions are answered. It'll be real interesting to see, to go back in October and go, okay, so Eddie didn't spend that much time at the Sportsman's Lodge. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Or yeah. whatever Dave was alluding to. Okay, so going back, if I can sidebar a little bit, some I would say we get like 80 to 90% really flattering positive feedback on this, this podcast. And the other 10, 15, 20%, whatever you call it, usually anonymous people who are very, very angry and they accuse of stuff. Uh, uh, they accuse us of stuff that's usually way off base. And I generally attack this stuff directly where I go, hey, uh, we never meant to offend you. We're fans just like you. This is based on stuff I've heard. I'm happy to take this offline and address this. So for example, we had this one person who was commenting on us going, that's not true. I've heard Dave backstage talking about Wolfen. He was saying all these nice things. You guys are baseless on this. And like, okay, I think that these recent podcasts kind of painted a different story. And that person never said who they were. And both we things had... can both things can be true. <laughs> oh yeah. So on Tuesday he liked Wolfie, and on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and Monday he didn't like Wolfie. In two thousand seven, when everybody was playing nice, he loved Wolfie. In two thousand twelve, maybe it was a different different story, different kind of truth. Okay, right, so, there you go. So we <laughs> one of the comments that we recently got was, "Wow, you guys are so pro Eddie, and you're only talking about positive Eddie stuff." If you go through old podcasts. You'll hear me making fun of the Eddie Van Halen performance when he's backing Simon and Garfunkel, or at least Simon. He's botching the hell out of <laughs> the sound of silence. We've, I think that we've presented a perspective that has said all these people did bad things to each other except Michael Anthony. No one ever can go, I don't like Michael Anthony. But I think that we've pointed out the inconsistencies from all the parties related to Van Halen. It's just recently, most of the deplorable behavior has come from one person. And, you know, one of the things that I've said a lot of times on this podcast is prove me wrong. And once the person does prove me wrong, I'll go, I was wrong. I'm sorry about that. Let me correct that. And so one of the things I was recently saying was Dave always took the high road. Dave never made fun of Sammy. We have a listener, Heath McCoy, who sent an interview that Dave did in 2003. Dave was making fun of Sammy in that interview. He said that. Sure he did. 
Yeah, <laughs> he said something along the lines of, and I can get the quote if needed, but he made reference to that most of the people reading this article haven't heard of Sammy Hagar. Now, whether or not that was a joke, I was wrong about that. Apparently, Dave was making fun of Sammy. And one of the first statements that he made in one of these January podcasts was he said, how many summers have I gone by and I've remained silent on all this? That's not true. So my head keeps spinning from all these podcasts. And, you know, I taped another interview with a band, somebody from a band that opened for Dave, who sold millions of records. And he told me how he felt about the Wolfgang podcast. And then afterwards, I got the note of, please edit this out. We don't want to talk about this publicly. So it's kind of like everyone that I know is disappointed by these Dave podcasts. It's not aging well. It's not It's not like people are listening a second or third time and going, you know what? I see what he did there. There's a strategy here. I'm just at this point where I still loathe all of that. And he's put out a few more since then. Um, have I taken you way off course, Steve? A little bit, but I was going to say, I mean, Dave has slagged Sammy several times in the past 35 years. Never been the frequency. He's never had the frequency that Sammy has certainly slagging on on Dave for so long. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, and Dave's a lot of Dave slags are, uh, you know, kind of the standard, uh, you know, Often imitated, Sam, never yeah, and Sammy goes to the party. I am the party, whatever it might yeah. be. But yeah. you know, I mean, Dave was no angel in all this. But you can say without a doubt that I mean, Dave has held his fire for a number of years, comparatively. Yeah. So, so uh, since since we did the last podcast, by the way, do you, do you notice that Dave has retitled the Wolfgang podcast? No. Uh, let me pull it up. I, I should be more prepared. Um, I, you can hear me typing because it's no longer called that fucking kid. It has a new name. It's something <laughs> like that stupid kid. Funny. Uh, oh, this crazy kid. It's now called. What does that tell you that he retitled the name of the episode from that fucking kid to this crazy kid? That shouldn't have got you into any hot water with. Uh, public i mean because it usually shows up as the quote unquote podcast or on the podcast providers after it goes up on youtube and facebook where the so i'm wondering if maybe did it get held up because it was titled that i mean we've never we've i don't think have we ever titled a podcast with a swear word or use asterisks in uck in a, I, I don't think so but what does it say that he renamed the <laughs> podcast since then he's I, either not proud of it or he's succumbing to the YouTube algorithm gods, or he got flagged or warned by listeners for language or something's up, but he changed the name of the podcast. I think that is significant. Yeah. Oh, it, I, yeah, because we've never seen changes like this to any of these crazy episodes in the past. No. So that happened. And since then, there's been two or three. There's one where he was talking about like, Hot chicks, but then somehow he's talking about his sisters. I totally didn't understand. I lost that. And then last week he posted the uh, the video with Russ dog training, border collie training, uh, herding yeah. sheep. And I commented somewhere. I can't remember whether it was Facebook or YouTube along the lines of, I love this the first time I saw it in 2012. <laughs> did you see my, my comment? Sometimes I'll see you like my comment. 
God. Yeah, I, I do that to help the algorithm. <laughs> I was just frustrated that day. And I don't think I looked for your comment. But my wife goes, hey, Dave put up a new video. And I went, nope, it's an old video. It's and an old I video. It. I, I, yes, I that. Yeah, I was like, I, I love this the first time I saw it back in 2012, something like that. It, it was entertaining back then. Don't get me wrong, but put up a, a hashtag of Throwback Thursday, the TBT, or something of that nature, like Good Times in 2012. But instead, you have all the people still awesome after all these years, Dave. Still killing it, Dave. Still the most interesting guy, Dave. And right. I'm not saying that as a jealous person or anything like that. I don't admire dave's popularity in that i wish i had that it's nothing like that it's just i expect better i just i'm sure he's painting i don't expect i don't expect better anymore <laughs> oh, wow that is the first time i've ever heard you say something negative you know i've said some negative things come on uh that's not your that's not in character for you i i just liken it to um being a big professional wrestling fan uh, more so in the past than I am now. But when a wrestler's on their way out, when they're retiring, there's the concept of putting over or elevating the stature of right. the next generation. You're supposed to, but you don't always lose your last match. And it's against somebody that you want to help elevate who you believe in the future. I'm not seeing any of Dave putting people over or elevating that next generation going, this is my next person he hasn't done that he has not done that really since eat him and smile record any i'm think of it has when was in any of the press for any i mean i shouldn't say that i know jason becker we could say becker, jason becker sure and i think yeah so i mean did he give props to the likes of ray Luzi, luzier and 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 bart walsh and folks like that a, a little uh, bit, a little, a little bit. bit to John Five, a little bit to Terry Kilgore claiming that Eddie stole the finger tapping from from Terry Kilgore, which we now know is just not no. true. But yeah, no, Dave has been singular, and it's Dave's world, and the everybody else has got to try to somehow penetrate the orbit, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, it's it's as solo as a solo artist can be, even when he was in Van Halen. So the Especially Wolfgang, for the reunion. So one of the things that bothers me about the Wolfgang thing, because again, people are going to go, oh, Darren is just this Eddie Van Halen defender. No, no way. No way. I did not have positive interactions related to the Eddie Van Halen camp. And I can give examples of that. Every side of this equation, except Michael Anthony's camp, in some way has not been cool to me at some point in time. But with, with Wolfgang, I always thought that Dave could have gone, this kid, if because he wants to call him a kid, this kid is keeping the the lineage going. So in other words, yeah, Dave can say, I am Van Halen. But you know what? This guy is keeping Van Halen alive for generations to come. But I, I, that's not I happening. said this in one of the prior podcasts. Yeah. I think it was the one after Dave was, I guess maybe it was the episode, this fucking kid. Because was that the one where he was saying, yeah, that was that was one where he was saying that Wolfie was complaining. Dave doesn't pay attention to him on stage. Whether Wolfie complained about it or not, Wolfie's right. You would have thought you would have thought he was a sideman practically, especially in two thousand seven. 
I mean, yeah. I made the comparison to before they finally anointed Will Lee as the official bassist 20 years out in Bon Jovi, 20 years after. I mean, we've seen this all the time with bands. They replace a member and it's like, oh yeah, you know, he's not in the photos. <laughs> I mean, I'll give Bon Jovi credit. They finally did add Hugh Lee. And guess what? Uh, Phil X is in all the photos and listed as a band member. Even if every Bon Jovi record, the last record just had him on the goddamn cover. They're essentially solo records anyway, right? I mean, they have been for but, Lord knows how many years. But it, as as what you're putting forth to the public, for the most part, you're showing a band, right? And I mean, I remember seeing on the times I saw the band with Wolfgang in it, I was like, you know, it would have been, how much would you just have loved? I would have like flipped out and been so happy if Dave put his arm around Wolfgang and shared a mic with him for one fucking song. He, I mean, you know, maybe he would make reference to him, you know, I, on, in the Tokyo Dome, he, he says something, if I remember correctly, maybe a little kidding, we'll mention once or twice, but I mean, really, it's, it's a, Dave has always been, even in Van Halen, it seems, a solo artist almost. Does that make sense? It it makes sense to me. And I've made fun of John Bon Jovi a lot over the years because some of his heavy handed business tactics like, hey, Skid Row, you can come on tour with me. In exchange, I get this percentage of your album sales royalties. <laughs> Things like that I mock a little bit. But then again, John Bon Jovi then gives back a lot to charity through the sure. film. Okay, pros and cons to the right. Robert Barron kind of thing. Right. But but John Bon Jovi has always been big on finding new artists, co-writing with new artists, helping new artists get record deals, having extra people in his band who are not original members and going, ladies and gentlemen, you know, that you know, giving that rub to these people and elevating other people. So there's a lot of artists that we can make fun of. Oh, their output isn't as great. Oh, they're cheesy. Oh, they're hypocrites. But you know what? They realize they're an artist. And artists are supposed to be part of a community with other artists. Yeah. I was just I was just thinking that the veneer never, ever comes so rarely, even in those long-form crazy podcast interviews with Mark Maron and Joe Rogan years now going on several years ago. The veneer never, ever comes down. Here's what I'm here's what I'm getting at. And I kept thinking about this numerous times over the last several months. That veneer never comes down. There's never really a humility or a humbleness. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. A modesty or a humbleness in regards to, in regards to, where he's at at that moment, say with Van Halen, getting back together with them. The only, the closest I've ever really seen it was in the interview cycles for Your Filthy Little Mouth, and then later on for the DLR band and the tour dates early two thousands before the, uh, late nineties before the tour was Sammy. Because a lot of the press angle that for most of those pieces were he's doing theaters, he's doing smaller places, he's doing state fairs and there was an interview or two where it's like you can't be huge forever you know i'm still the soundtrack of the summer but do you know what i'm saying there was a little bit well, that veneer for, came that 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 wall totally. came down a little bit there was a little bit of humbleness a little bit of humility which plays really well the last 30 years in the 80s into the 80s 70s 80s you were a god you were bigger than life there was i mean the only one you know the only 
it was really Elvis and everything. It was really Elvis that uh, where the veneer came down was, oh my God, this guy's a mess. Everything else, if you're a mess, it was a badge of honor through the seventies and eighties. Right. Yeah. Um, for the most part, go fast. And this is a long thing. I apologize, but fast forward into the nineties oh. where people are getting in touch with their emotions musically more. And it's, um, you know, led by the Kurt Cobain's of the world and everybody where there is more of kind of a connection followed by the internet where you're close to these people than ever before. Yeah. Not with Dave. He started off on the internet. He was a very early adapter of the direct to fans thing. So putting out in 1997 or 1998, an internet only single through davidleeroth.com. The, right. the song private parts, which Howard Stern turned down for his soundtrack. And eventually I think that became the song tight on the DLR band album. So Dave, whether it was him giving the instruction or his team, they were very fan friendly. And I've gotten reports from people from the Roth Army message board, from different Van Halen fan club kind of things. So we're going, Dave was so cool to us in the late 90s, mid 90s, through maybe the first Van Halen reunion tour, where they would have a green room set up for particular fans. They really took care of the highest level of fans, made sure they were involved, whether or not they got FaceTime with Dave. It was kind of making effort to let Dave know, uh, to let you know that Dave cared, whether or not that was the true. I think maybe the peak of that was under Eddie Anderson and or Matt Sensio. But it seems like after that first Van Halen reunion tour, once he became Tokyo Dave, all of that kind of went away. He became less accessible. Like, yes, he was doing the Roth show thing. But I think the humility was gone and the humility was there in the 90s for sure. Like he was talking about what you said. I didn't think that was long winded. I just thought what you said was smart and well pointed, which is that he was doing the humility thing while telling you how great he was at the same time. In other words, he was saying, I'm not for everybody, but I am for everybody. And right. thank you. Thank you to the few of you who came out. And then at a certain point, he comes back to arenas with Van Halen. It's like, I'm the best. I'm the best. <laughs> and right. Never let it go. And we now know from him opening up from for Kiss and the Vegas residency that started and the Vegas residency that ultimately got axed, he's, he wasn't the hot ticket anymore without Van Halen. We see these corporate gigs he's done. He's not the hot ticket without Van Halen. We see the view counts on these social media things. You're not the hot ticket without Van Halen. So I would think when you get humbled X number of times, you'd go, okay, time to be humble again. I I think so. But I I just don't think he could be really capable of it anymore. I was just thinking how you look at some of the biggest rock stars and how forward facing they are, Mm -hmm. even though they're driving the content like Dave does, putting out their own their own content all the time, whether it's videos, whether it's a podcast, whatever it might be. Two mm-hmm. great examples. One, the aforementioned John Bon Jovi. I see Instagram lives him all the time. All right, he's hawking a wine or whatever it might be, but right. he's out there talking directly to his audience. Look at Kiss and Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley's Instagram accounts. Look at Kiss Kiss online, the Kiss Instagram account. The amount of back, the amount of stuff. With, I mean, there's a hilarious video of there of Gene in a bathrobe getting all made up. 
and he did the pre-show and he's like kind of dancing in the in the in the rolling chair and it was the song uh what was it the ferris bueller oh yeah so you know whatever that oh, i can't even remember the fun name. fact that song yes. i learned yes. from doing a junket yesterday there's gonna be a whole documentary about that song Oh, one song. Terrific. <laughs> the, the guy who did the documentary on Reverend Vince Anderson that's coming out this week is his next project is about that one song. And Man, it's significance. Isn't what's it called? Name? I don't know if it's called. Oh, oh yeah. Or Debout Bow. I don't know what uh, the official name of it is. <laughs> Debout Bow. <laughs> Debout Bow. It's called. It's called. <laughs> chick -chick. Yeah. Chicka Chicka <laughs> Debout Bow. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's but the name but I'm bringing that up because that's stuck in my head where, where Gene, I mean, pointing fun at himself practically. I mean, you saw behind the curtain, you see behind the curtain. They kids have been doing that for years. 30 years yes. ago, they to 30 years. I mean, they were doing that actually even longer when with their long form home videos. We had tour yes. bus footage. Yeah. And so, stuff like that. I mean so to rudely interrupt you here, I think we've talked about uh, this on an episode, but when I became a lifer for Gene Simmons was the TMZ catching him at Costco. Once I saw that, you, you and I- Catching him where? At Costco. Oh, right. Yeah, once right. I knew that Gene Simmons was a Costco guy, I went, I love this guy. Now, David Lee Roth was talking about Costco on a recent podcast with regard to how Costco should sell weed, but he was mistakenly- he kept calling it Costco weed instead of Kirkland weed. <laughs> Anyone who's a Costco person knows it's Kirkland is the generic brand. Just like BJ's Wholesale, it's Berkeley and Johnson or whatever. You right. know, back to you, Steve. No. <laughs> You're saying Gene Simmons and Kiss was, had the more over-the-top thing, but at the same time, they could also be humble at the same time and go back and forth. Right, exactly. I mean, you saw behind the curtain that veneer came down. There... There yeah. was a certainly, certainly they recognize the fans and to always have really, but especially in the rise of the internet era, era, they really dropped the guards. And I, like I mentioned, they were doing that beforehand with the home video stuff when they, when they did the, um, and I'm just forgetting on the tiles, apologies. I There's Kiss had, Exposed. Yeah. Kiss Exposed. The one, yeah. yeah. Which was all staged, you know, that was staged with women yeah. falling all over Eric Hart, but but yeah. the one after that, I think it was on the Revenge tour, uh, the home video on that. You saw footage on the on the tour on the on the tour bus. The videos, the second was it the Second Coming videos where you had yeah. you you saw Tommy Thayer teaching, uh, telling Ace, no, the riff for Cold Gin is this or whatever it was. I mean, they warts and all, they really even as even as I'm sure they did a lot of censoring and editing and there's stuff you don't we'll, we'll never see. But point being is you got to see a lot. You don't see any of that stuff from Dave or Van Halen, or it's no. always, and you didn't see them see that with the old school rocks, rock bands back in the day for the most part. And I think that's where his head still is at. I mean, that's why what blows my mind is the fact that Alex is doing an autobiography, which must've gave him, got him a very nice fat advance. For, for sure. A seven figure advance that he got out of it. He wouldn't do that for the love of it. So I'm curious to see, because if you remember the first, either the first or the second Roth podcast in January was quick to point out about what an alcoholic and a bully Alex Van Halen was. I remember that. Yep. Yes. So is that a shot at credibility the way that the Sammy Hagar one was a shot at his credibility because he claimed the alien abduction? 
And is it a shot at Eddie and he's bringing up the weird fetish that we still don't know what he's talking about and the the addiction and all that as a way to kill the credibility? Meaning in the court of law, if somebody was suing you for X, Y, and Z, you'd want to pick apart their cap their character to go, well, how can any of this be true? They don't remember any of this because they were going through X, Y, and Z. So in other words, was this a strike on Alex's book to go, hey, right. can't believe everything you read because this is a person who blacked out for most of the 80s. Right. Well, let's let's let me swing back to the to the bio the autobiography here, because uh, Van Al News Desk had the uh, exclusive excerpt yesterday or much earlier this morning. I think it was yesterday, which was essentially the book description that you now see on X on on the full book description and blurb, which you now see on Amazon everywhere. And if you go to vhnd.com, uh, oh. you'll see it on there. And there's a couple of things that really stood out to me is um, um, Alex talking about what's in the book. He said, later, we shared the back of a tour bus, alcoholism, the experience of being famous, of becoming fathers and uncles, and of spending more hours in the studio than I spent doing anything else in this life. We shared a depth of understanding that most people can only help to achieve in a lifetime. And the second second last sentence is, there has never been an accurate account of them or the band. And Alex wants to set the record straight on Edward's life and death. And then wow. it says, Brother, Brothers Includes never before seen photos from the author's private archives. I, I have not seen or read this description. Pardon me for being ignorant. No, 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 no. So this is a tell-all, but not a dirty tell-all. It, it, it's told with acclaimed New Yorker writer, Ariel Levy, who sounds familiar. I may have read his stuff, but I can't tell you to say I'm a New Yorker subscriber at the moment. Uh, in his rough yet sweet voice, Alex recounts the brother's childhood, first in the Netherlands and then working class Pasadena, California. Talks about his parents. And uh, he also shares tales of musical politics, infighting and plenty of bad boy behavior. But mostly his is a story of brotherhood, music and enduring love. There's going to be some humility in there and humbleness. Yeah. Uh, and for, I mean, this man, we're going to see a lot. We're going to, re this is going to open up a lot that I, I think people have not seen or okay, heard about. So this has me thinking out loud here and improvising a thought or two. Pardon me if this sucks, if you disagree, if I have this wrong. We are trained to think that David Lee Roth basically ran Van Halen and managed Van Halen because it goes back to, okay, so he had the PA. He made sure that the songs were more danceable and helped choose the songs and choreography. And he's who got them out of just being a cover band. And he's really who worked them hard and whipped them into shape to the next level. But then when you think about it, we've also heard that Alex is who ran Van Halen. And their manager was his brother-in-law and mm -hmm. things of that right. nature. So was it that originally Van Halen was run by Dave, he leaves, and then Alex runs the band? Or have we been mis misled the whole time? And it really was Alex leading Van Halen, but he just never corrected the record publicly. I think it could be the latter. By the way, this book is 384 pages and there will be a 720 minute audio book along with it and an ebook. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So this is, this is, this is going to be big. 
This is going to be really big. Yeah, Harper Collins was the rise of Howard Stern. Howard right. Stern. We're now thinking him as, quote, the king of all media. But really what put him to the next level was not the E! show. It wasn't the Channel 9 show. It was that he was a best-selling author. And then right. The best-selling author, that led him getting the movie private parts. Which right. Once you could have the number one soundtrack, the number one movie, the number one book, then he's a mainstream celebrity. Harper Collins, I think, was also behind what was that Judith Regan? She was the one who signed everybody. It sounds familiar. I don't remember. Yeah, that pretty sure you're right there. That was she was the big she was probably a New Yorker a lot. <laughs> was was she also who signed Motley Crue for the dirt? I that think I don't she know. did all the celebrity what bad boy people. So besides Stern, I think she did Jenna Jameson, Marilyn Manson, Motley Crue. In other words, that whole genre of tell alls where you were, you know, feeding the dirt to the media before the book was out. So then they'd pick up the like the salacious passage. Yeah, That's, right. That was Harper Collins. Right, right, right. Sure, sure. Okay, so so back to this book and that description. Like you, I don't know anything besides what we've been told. Van Halen's store will have it. That's where you should buy it if you can. With oh, and we should mention too, Van Halen. Uh, but fans who order this book directly from VanHalenStore.com will receive a nice little collectible item as a special bonus. Doesn't say what that is yet, but that to me is worth ordering the book through them. Yeah, kudos to that. Who's keeping the Van Halen legacy alive more than Van Halen News Desk at this point? Because Eric is writing articles, it seems like, every day or five days a week. They are the de facto Van Halen website, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. In other words, if you had to go to somebody to find out what happened in this day in history of Van Halen, you'd probably go to Van Halen News Desk and or Greg Renoff quicker than you would any member of Van Halen right. or their management team. Boy, I'll be real. I would be real curious to know come October or let's say August or September, because I'm sure he'll get an advance on it. But I would love to know Greg Renoff's thoughts on this book after he gets it, after he reads it. I, I expect I will not be getting in advance and no, they will quote, not be available at this time. <laughs> that will happen for me. So you'll have to go to Greg as an insider or Jeff Hausman or somebody who knows uh, people and knows stuff. But I'm curious to see where Dave goes from here because Dave's whole thing, but when Eddie was dying, but we didn't know that he was dying, Dave started saying, I am Van Halen. Is real classy, <laughs> real classy, which Sammy, to his credit, is also kind of doing. I am Van Halen, that kind of thing. The question is, what happens to the I am Van Halen after this book comes out? Yeah, it just made me realize, too, because reading the Van Halen News Desk uh, piece that they have on it, uh, they mentioned the fact, and I forgot about this, it's mentioned in here somewhere that Alex is 70 years old. Sure. Dave Ooh. is 69 turning 70, I believe. I think so. I, yeah. Dave ages one year for every two, it seems. I could never get, <laughs> I mean, he he was <laughs> he was in his 50s, it seemed, for a long time. <laughs> I you know, I because I'm still promoting the book and taping a couple interviews a, a, a week and still people are coming out of the woodwork. None of these people are hearing anything from Dave for the record. You know, I'm I'm in the past. I had to go like, 
yeah, I've been hearing things and I don't want to blow up my spot. No, nobody's hearing anything. The people who are most recently in his band, they have other gigs. They're not hearing anything from Team Dave unless there's a new secret disco band that we don't know about. They're not hearing anything. Nobody is hearing anything from Dave, which makes me wonder, what's the hobby that he's obsessed with right now? Yeah. It's not music. Unfortunately, it's not. Unfortunately, it's not. I was just thinking it should be only a matter of three, two, one. Any minute now, we should see Sammy's thoughts about Alex's book, you think? That's that's going to be an interesting thing because Sammy, anytime he's asked, will say, I've reached out to Alex and he wants nothing to do with me and he won't get back to me and, and that kind of a thing. And will this finally be why <laughs> and how and when Alex explains that whole thing? Will this him be him going? Yeah. No, Sammy didn't make amends with my brother. That's a lie. And, it remind, and you know what's interesting about that is that, and again, we're only going by what's for what we know is to be public knowledge, right? Or at least for me, what I've read over the years and everything. But yeah. it seemed to me, nostalgia aside, mm -hmm. which I think, which Eddie always had for, and to a degree, I'm sure maybe Alex, Eddie always had, I think, for those years, the, the years they came, the original version of the band with with Dave, right? I mean, I think part of that was just the pride, the, Pride, pride of the music, his son being involved. But I always thought that there was like a kind of, a, if not a love for Dave, a real love for the nostalgia and the time there. And I always got the impression that Eddie was like that wife that just want, would, you know, God, why won't this work? I, why can't, for whatever his fault might have been in all so much of the, you know, so much of the turmoil between Dave and Eddie all those years. And I'm not trying to align blame to anybody, but converse, conversely with, Sam, I always got the impression that there's some there was a lot of different vitriol there with the Van Halens towards Sammy, whether that's business deal related, whether that's the deal with the manager thing. I mean, do you, and that I don't I always had got that feeling that it was just a different sort of that you cross the line or you you never offend the family or something. Do you know what I'm saying? It just always felt to me very different. I bet the bogus Otis guys may have talked about this, I'm sure, or probably have a different, maybe some sort of take or insight on this. But I agree. We're speculating here. I oh, of course, of course. I'm Alex. just getting the vibe that I've always felt. I agree with that for Alex, uh, the Costa, Costa, I can't speak to it, Costa Nostra, uh, you don't offend the family kind of thing. But for Eddie or Edward or, ed or however you want to call him <laughs> never never eddie according to alex vanhalenewsdesk.com I, I just get the vibe and this is not related to intellect i get the vibe that he never thought about the same thing twice that he didn't harp on the past or think about anything that he did he just did what he felt like at that moment and here we are psychoanalyzing everything why did he get the peanut butter and jelly you know, we think about that, and I don't think you go, Ed, why'd you get the peanut butter truck? I was hungry. <laughs> it's just that kind of thing. I think that we're harping on 40-ish years of what did Eddie mean when he did that? And the answer was, he just felt like it. Right. And Dave, on the other hand, everything is thinking about, well, what's going to be the case if I do this? And what's the case about this? And what's this? Dave is thinking about every move. Is he? 
he's overthinking every single move out of paranoia. He's paranoying himself into inactivity. It doesn't seem there's much thought behind putting out videos like that fucking kid. <laughs> That's what you would think. But some his judgment is off. And I still have to say the what sounds like a sexist thing here. But by not having the touch of a significant other or a handler that's able to speak to you on equal footing or an assistant that's able to speak to you like a rational human being that's not afraid of losing their job by doing that his logic is so cooked and baked and over fried that none of it is making any sense and that's why people come in and out quickly whereas with ed one of the reasons why we'll never know with ed is just like dave and before you say, oh, Darren always says nice things about Ed. No, Ed and Al have everyone under non-disclosures just like Dave does. That which right. I say, why do you have people under non-disclosures if you're not doing anything shady? Or you can it, take criticism. You you would not have everyone under NDAs. Good point. Really good point. I was just thinking ahead a little bit. Apologies for the pause there, but I'm yeah. Thinking of predictions and what I think, well, uh, when the book comes out, Brilliant. that you that you will not be seeing Alex on all on a regular media book tour, sitting with his Ray Bans on at Good Morning no. America that morning. You'll see him if he goes anywhere; he'll be one place. Howard Stern. He will do, and we are just speculating on speculating on a speculation. We're we're three tiered speculating right here. I'd say Howard Stern is one the second one is what is his wife's favorite tv show or media host or podcast host it might be a danish person out of nowhere because i think his wife is danish or it might be a dutch thing mm. and then the third one will be like a modern drummer i'm, I'm going to say three or four interviews that's the whole thing because modern i could see modern drummer doing an excerpt that might be more music related like if there's stories in there about the drumming, making a record, whatever it might be, which I would be thrilled to read about. The I was also thinking too that I wonder if if he does if he would. I don't want to say it's too small, but maybe if I I'd love to see him appear with Eddie Trunk on his show. That will never happen. No. But uh, Burn Magazine in Japan that would be my fourth pick of where it's going to okay. wind up. Burn Magazine, a uh, legendary metal hard rock magazine, which is part of the Shinko Music Group. So mm -hmm. basically, Shinko has all of the photos. I don't know if they own them or have the licensing rights, but every time you see Van Halen in Japan in the 70s and 80s, it's Shinko, and they have Young Guitar Magazine. You take any genre or interest, and Shinko probably has five magazines about that. And then they kind of like here with the time life serials, they do those two for Japan. And basically you never burn your bridge with Shinko music publishing ever. I, I know that from having drinks a number of times with the CEO is like third generation over there. It mm -hmm. is old school over there. And I mean that in a good way. That it, sounds when, so awesome. It, the gap. Having the drinks with them or being on their good side of Shinko? Both. <laughs> Shinko also oversees, uh, what's the name of the, the Japanese radio DJ that Paul Gilbert did the song from? I think it's Kosakai or Mas Don't Mas know. 
Masa Ito. I think his name is Masa Ito. Yeah, they also have the syndicated radio shows besides the magazines and the serials and the book publishing and the music publishing copyrights over there. So basically, I'm saying it's going to be Shinko uh, Burn Burn Magazine will be your one over there. We're going to get a Dutch, the Dutch uh, Good Morning America equivalent. We're going to get his wife's favorite show and Howard Stern. And then he's never going to do an interview ever again. And I still stand by. You will never see him play drums in public again. I know behind the scenes he did play in private. Um, I'm waiting for whether or not that's in the book. If that's not revealed in the book, I'll talk about what I know publicly. He did play behind the scenes with something, but... I, I wonder if the book will shed any light on the abortive tribute concert show with Dave and Joe Satriani and Jason Newstead and... God knows who else might be in that might have been in that mix for a second. What I'm hearing and investigating is there was possibly never a rehearsal with Satriani and Newstead that they talked about it. And there was so much uh, over analyzing talking Dave spew that it didn't happen. That, That's doesn't, what, that doesn't surprise me at all. But they're talking about it like that happened and it didn't. But something else did happen. So I'm curious to see how much of 2020 and forward makes this book. Or sometimes when you read a long-awaited memoir, it ends 15 years before present day. Like the well, singer this... of the Get Up Kids, he has a great memoir that just came out. And I think it ends in 2007. Well, it doesn't sound like this one does not because he mentioned shedding light on Eddie's death as well. So I got a feeling what may be the last or second to last chapter is going to have me in tears. I have a feeling too. Now I've asked around, you know, I still live on Long Island. You survived Long Island and got <laughs> out of here. But Ed was getting some or all of his cancer treatment on Eastern Long Island. And I don't think- Was he that, doing it overseas for a while in Germany or someplace? He was going to- Germany. I asked a friend who's into alternative medicine. There's some kind of a treatment called ozone where I think they, in, I, I hate science. I know nothing about it. This is just what I heard, but you, you're injecting or putting oxygen into yourself, but this is not a U.S. approved treatment. Hmm. So he was going to Germany for something related to this, which no one will confirm nor deny, which means it's true. <laughs> but then he was having other treatment on Eastern Long Island in the Stony Brook area. And wow. people knew he was there. But at the same time, I don't know if it's because they were non-disclosured up or they're just used to keeping their mouth shut out there. This is not well, the Long Island where people go to the hospital. Well, no, but you know what? It's it's kind of odd. You just reminded me, maybe not odd, but I think there's a, there's in places like that, it seems like there's a level of respect, like in Southern Minnesota here somewhere. I'm not even exactly sure where it is, but there's a famous Hazelden facility. Yes. Which you name the rock star. They probably tried to dry out there. I mean, yeah. I think Steve Collins from Def Leppard memorably there and escaped from there and ended up somewhere in downtown Min Minneapolis on a snowy night. Uh, Steve Clark, not Steve Collins, but Steve Def Clark, Leppard. Yeah. I mean, but you never, ever see here, even in the rise of social media, any sort of TME, TMZ shots or, or anything go viral because they took a picture with so-and-so who was going to the airport from Hazelden, whatever it might. You just, there's, and maybe it's a Minnesota thing, but- same way you don't see the 
I mean, they put a clamp on those things, a Betty Ford clinic or whatever it might be. There's still a level of privacy at those places, which is yeah. pretty damn impressive given the climate we're in. All right. Want to segue here. Great segue here because some Dave adjacent news. Thanks to the Paltrow cast, you had a terrific interview with Brian Wheat from Tesla and made a little news of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. The uh, Tesla opening up on the Edom and Smile Tour. I asked about that because I read Brian's book. And I same here, same here. I grasped onto the negative thing, and it wasn't actually intended to be negative, which is he kind of says that uh, they only really had FaceTime with Dave one night, and he was in full Dave mode, and you know, the security guards and the handlers and the amped up stories and the laughing at your own jokes. And I grasped onto as a negative thing. and Brian's take on it as a person who's been touring the world now for 35, 40 years. It's like, oh, no, that's Dave being gay. That's kind of what we want. And he asked us to uh, he asked uh, us if we he wanted us to manage. I'm sorry, I'm I'm not speaking great. He asked Tesla to manage them and right. they turned them down because they already had Q Prime, which is the company behind Metallica. And right. And right. About the best hard rock manager you could possibly get at that time. It yeah. reminds me that I became a Tesla fan for life because I saw them open up for, I saw them open up for Dave uh, at the Nassau Mausoleum Coliseum in yes. Uniondale, Long Island. There in January, February, I remember it was a freezing cold winter night out on Long Island. Sure, the Coliseum is it's always been the bitch of the Madison Square Garden kind of situation, but there <laughs> right. have been. So many historic things that happened at the Coliseum. Uh, Pink Floyd did, was it the wall tour there? Right, right. There's a Bowie Live album that came out. I think I Blue Oyster Cult and Black Sabbath did the Black and Blue, one of the Black and Blue shows there. I think there's a Phil famous. Collins live video. Sometimes people did that. But right now it's this freestanding arena that secretly has tour rehearsals going on. I think Madonna sometimes uses it. For Does tour. anybody still play there? I saw Judas Priest a year and a half ago. Okay. It was not even cut, like scaled down, but it was like half a scaled down. Kind of okay. tarped off the top. And they're like, yeah, how many comp tickets do you want? It kind of reminds me <laughs> of when I went, when I, in the eighties, I went, I went to college in Connecticut and I went to school in New Haven, which yeah. the New Haven Coliseum was there, a weirdly old building with a parking garage on top that was just like falling apart and later tore down. But you're 90 minutes from the much newer Hartford Coliseum, which was where, yeah. and I don't even know if the Coliseum's still standing, for goodness sakes. Eric can probably tell us, Senate who's in Connecticut there. Yeah. Uh, but I can remember, and granted, I was not from Connecticut, but I had roommates from Connecticut. And there was always this sort of like thing where it's like, oh, the Coliseum sound is so much better. And uh, I'm sorry, the Civic Center sound in Hartford so much better. I don't even know if they were booked by the same people, but they were 90 minutes away from each other, for goodness sakes. But I can remember distinctly, the first time I saw Kiss was at the New Haven Coliseum on the Crazy Nights tour. And I can remember people, some friends of mine there, we were like, God, I wish it was up at the Civic Center. Yeah, but the Coliseum's closer. Yeah, but Kiss will never, Kiss doesn't play the, Kiss doesn't play a Civic Center because they're not allowed to do pyro. That was, I don't even know if that's true, but that was the rumor du jour. And I, on uh, Hot in the Shade, I'm pretty sure they played uh, New Haven and not the Harvard Civic Center. So it's just, it's so weird how some of these really shitty arenas will gravitate in your head as being, yeah, it's not so much later you realize, oh man, that place was a, was a dump. 
Yeah, the Carlson, they revitalized it uh, because they lost the New York Islanders because the NHL, right. you have to have X number of VIP seats and you have to be right. scaled this way. And I think they bluffed and they went, well, we're not going to do that. And so then they moved the Islanders to the Barclays Center. Then they kind of realized, OK, so the Islanders are playing in Brooklyn in kind of an urban area failure. And then they had to build a new arena. The UBS arena, which they say is in Long Island, but it's not because it's in Queens. And they built the next right. racetrack. So the Islanders have an arena that's within like five miles of Jones Beach Amphitheater, within 10 miles of this newly built one, which is within two miles or less of Hofstra's arena, which is within 20 miles of Madison Square Garden's arena. And then there's some Eastern Long Island stuff too. So we're you're at this weird part of the music industry where you go, what? Why do you have all these arenas that we paid for as as tax as taxpayers? Payers? Yeah. Uh, that, and and also, how many artists are there going to be at an arena level in ten years that people are going to want to see? So right. that's a weird sidebar. But yeah, you you saw Tesla over there. All the great tours went through the Coliseum, usually on the second or the third leg. Like the first leg would be Madison Square Garden. And then the second leg, you got like the Meadowlands or the Coliseum or one of those. And then the third leg went to the one that they didn't do. And, you know, Tesla is interestingly, and this is going to tie around to Dave. Tesla is interestingly like a theater band or opening for Def Leppard or like all their friends in arenas. Well, they so, headline now, but they do like seven, 8,000 or less. Like they'll, they do a lot of, they, when they come through Minnesota here, they, there's a couple of casino ballrooms, big casino ballrooms that pl they play every time. They're not playing. Uh, they're not playing the, for instance, they're not playing the, um, I, I don't even, Jesus, I'm having, a, I'm going to see Jason Isbell Sunday night at the palace theater in St. Paul. Tesla would never play that place. Tesla's not going to play first Avenue in Minneapolis, uh, but they're playing, uh, but they played uh, uh, the, whatever the casino is down South there. I've seen them there before. So sure. Well, God bless well, Tesla, man. I turned into a fan for life. Thanks to them opening up for Dave and the video for modern day cowboy, which I mean, I've got every album. I, I absolutely love them. But what ties in with Dave here is where was Dave's residency in Vegas? And the one that was canceled mandalay bay's house of blues right there's this second or third residency that tesla's about to do in vegas mandalay bay house of blues so you go is dave as popular now in present day as the band that opened for him in 86 87 possibly possibly he is that he's not this epic all-star artists that can sell tickets. In other words, the Dave stock lowered, the Tesla stock raised over time. So it's interesting to see who was an opener in 86, 87, 88, 89, and where are they now versus the band that they were opening for. When you see that Bon Jovi was opening up for, was it 38 Special? I, th oh. I think on the first tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And opening for the Scorpions and opening for Rat and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, Bon Jovi is now still headlining arenas and stadiums. But did those bands go down to theaters? Pretty much. Except the Scorpions are still, by some asterisks, still able to do arenas. I don't know how. 
It's a great live show. I don't know anyone who buys tickets, but love the score. Go, go figure. One other David Jason thing. Uh, a couple of weeks back, there was a great article at ultimate-guitar.com by Greg Prado uh, yeah. with the headline. The headline was David Lee Roth aiming to create a dance rock masterpiece of Skyscraper. Because 36 oh. years ago in February, just like Paradise was storming up the charts, eventually would peak at number six in March of 88. And if you read this article, a, a lot of this is from his uh, cool book, Shredders, The Oral History of Speed Guitar, which yeah. came out. 2017 but what's really interesting there is a quote here in this article that says from billy uh, sorry he quotes billy sheehan in this article yes says and talking about skyscraper which just like paradise is on he said well skyscraper was a whole different world i give dave credit for trying to mix rock music and dance music which i didn't really hear just my own editorializing uh and he said it was very insightful for him to see the future that dance music was going to be Maybe stand up. I don't know. However, if you're a rock guy, the dance music people hate you. And if you're a dance music guy, the rock people hate you. So traversing that Berlin Wall. Uh, but then he gets into what really stands out for me that the here's the biggest difference between albums one and album two, Eat Him and Smile and Skyscraper, was the writing and recording. And she had said, Eat Him and Smile, we did it in a room together as a band, which we've all heard numerous stories about that. Skyscraper was done separately. Everybody came in one at a time. Nobody was there. Something changed in the air and the atmosphere changed. It wasn't like friend slash fun slash hangout anymore. It just turned into a business situation, not so much a quote band anymore. So it wasn't working for me. And I was quite unhappy with it. It was a tough situation for me to be in. I ended up leaving the band I, and didn't know what I was going to do, he said. Um, so yeah, he did all, he, you know, she and did all the recording sessions, but of course it was play, replaced on tour by Bissonette. And that skyscraper record certainly always to me, I don't know how anybody else can think otherwise, just sound so clinical and much more never did. I mean, it wasn't produced by Templeman. It really sounds to me like Vi and primarily Ross big sound palette experimentation. And I love the record. Don't get me wrong. I do too. And Greg Prado writes as many books as Martin Popoff and credit to him for featuring great artists, et cetera. But I take issue with this commentary from Billy Sheen about it being a dance record because Tina is not a dance song. No. Damn Good Times is not a dance song. Two Fools a Minute is not a dance song. Like it's no. not a dance album. That's insane just because Stand Up is dance-ish. You could argue, and he did make a dance remix separate, which is rare that you could find on YouTube. It's right. Like, seven minute version i guess you can i mean stand stand up's the closest thing to a dance song certainly in sound the poppiness of it all um you know skyscraper is not a dance song uh no i tried dancing once a skyscraper and almost hurt myself the title (laughs) track Um, the uh the bottom line's not a dance song like how do you call it a dance album just now if you call it a, a pop electronic pop record because of its use of drum machines and keyboard bass and an early form of digital editing and layered vocals that's fair but it is not a good luck dancing to two fools a minute exactly well i'll tell you i was just thinking that skyscraper how what would you give how much would you love to hear skyscraper those same songs recorded and produced by Ted Templeman, same mm-hmm. band as Skyscraper, with the, but with more of a Brett Tuggle, uh, with much more Brett Tuggle on Skyscraper. Or conversely, all the Skyscraper recorded by Bob Rock with the band that did 
although ain't enough. I think when Dave has a great producer and or a great musical collaborator, he is great and it's going to come out great, except for your right. little mouth, which uh, he did have Nile Rodgers. You like that one much more than I do. I think the great songs on your filthy little mouth are great. And then for no big ting and all that. There's about four. We, we should get into this sometime, but we there's about four really, really excellent. Yes. Take some chances, fun songs on your filthy, filthy, your filthy little mouth. I'd say maybe five songs, including the title track, which for reasons I'm not even sure. I suddenly rediscovered a couple months ago and went, oh, my God, I forgot how much I love this song. It's kind of buried more towards the end of the album. I was going to also mention as well that on skyscraper i mean yeah it it is so clinical but song for song with the exception of maybe two fools a minute which almost sounds like a throwaway I, they were trying to do something there there was an experiment there that i think that kind of went a little bit awry i mean let's, <laughs> let's do one let's do vaudeville on tape right i mean you know what there, i mean there's a song on the easy album called easy does it where he does that same thing like the track is almost oh and then it like they cuts right. off mid sentence, and you go, "Did Dave steal that from Easy E? If so, well played, Dave." But but I can remember when I first got Skyscraper. This was back yeah. in the day when you didn't use headphones all the time, like today. I dissected and listened so closely to Skyscraper with the headphones on, really loud, more than I ever did the same way with Eat Him and Smile, because it was so much going on. You listen to what's going on in Knuckle Bones, right, or Hot Dog and a Shake. It's it's hot dog and a shake is almost like a freaking Bugs Bunny Warner Brothers cartoon in audio form. All the stuff that's yeah. going on and and it's just so much fun. And that was that was the album where and we saw this much later on and we definitely saw this on a different kind of truth where Dave was layering in and using his vocals and the yelps and different other things as much more of an instrument. Different background punch-ins, different things here and there that really kind of colored it a, a, a lot more. That was where we really saw that in Skyscraper. I mean, I applaud him. He really took some chances there. I I remember when I wrote the review for my college newspaper at the time, <clears throat> I said, I said, if Edom and Smile, and I, I just thought this was a great line, but if Edom and Smile was, was like a fifth round knockout, you know, totally killed. You were like, this is the, by the end of side one, you were like, oh my God, I can, I, this thing just completely rolled over me. It's so fucking amazing. Skyscraper was more like a 15th round TKO. You know, you really, it, it didn't knock you completely out, but there was a lot, there was a lot to love during the whole thing, right? I'm, I'm with you right there. So it really just shows that again, to repeat myself, when Dave has somebody who can go, bad idea, no Dave, <laughs> or, that kind of a thing, he's at his best. And so I think that all these things that we're dissecting or picking apart this episode are things that if he had a better manager, if he had a better handler, if he was taking outside feedback, he would not be in this pickle of the post-Wolfgang uh, nightmare, the is he going to tour again, is he going to record again? Instead of those questions giving a little mystique in a cool way, sure, rather than just weird dance videos and reposting old social media comment uh, content that we know is old. So I'm back to my, this is really hard to be a fan of this guy uh, phase again. I It might be the winter dreary weather where I don't listen to as much Van Halen, but 
I I need something. I need something to make me want to love this guy's artistry and humanity again. I need hey, something, Steve. It's, hey, it's hard to do a podcast. Boom. Thank you, yeah. folks. No, actually, it's funny you mention that because I have this ultimateguitar.com article pulled up and one of the sidebars, um, uh, you know, because one of the sidebars, more David Lee Roth articles, would you believe it was a year ago? Listen, David Lee Roth releases new song Pointing at the Moon. Not the greatest song in the world, but it was a year ago. And it was, I'm, we got close to an album of the John Five songs out there at least. But there was, last year this time, there was new music. This wasn't, we weren't as negative, I don't think. I hope not. I was negative because I was going through some stuff, admittedly. But I would take that level of not amazing output over hey, so everyone around me is an idiot. <laughs> I'd rather than that kind of output uh, at that point in time. I, I guess hindsight being twenty twenty, I'd rather take inferior uh, Hidden Dave over angry I am Van Halen Dave at this point in time. And on that note... <laughs> on that note, uh, I'm excited for this Alex book. It's not that far away. I'm edging closer towards probably going to see Sammy on this this summer tour. It's not in my market. I'd have to drive to Jersey to catch it. I'm intrigued by Wolfgang opening up for Creed at Madison Square Garden. I think that might be one of the funniest shows that I've never thought that I'd pay a dollar to see, but I might go just because it's so entertaining. Said so you've seen Creed in Is it Creed and is it also Godsmack? It's Not, a triple bill. Who uh, else is on the bill? I think it's three doors down, is the middle. Okay, I think you're I think you're right. So it's essentially a late nineties rock bill, yeah. which when I first saw that, I'm like, oh man, what is Wolfgang doing that for? Then I thought of it, it's a smart move. Because you, if you like those records, if you and you haven't heard Wolfgang's stuff, one shame on you. Two, you're gonna love the Mammoth records, and they're fucking selling out. They're playing big fucking places. God well, bless Scott Stapp and Creed. I mean, I never thought I'd see that happen. Good lord. Yeah, you have to take a step back and realize that Mark Tremonti was one of the most uh, from Creed, and all yes, was one of the most important people in the life of Wolfie. Sure. So supposedly, he was the only person who had heard the Wolfgang album, aside from Eddie, that he leaked that in some interview before we knew that Wolfgang was really a musician that was going to be a solo artist of sorts. Mark Tremonti knew the whole time. I have a lot of respect for Mark Tremonti because I know I did not like Creed that much. I always thought that they were kind of the worst of everything that was going on but then when you read about mark tremonti and all the charity work he does with relation right. to this kid and then you hear did you ever hear mark tremonti's sinatra covers album yes and you go who knew yeah and all the money to that went to charity with related to his child and right and i that, and i liked alter bridge more than i liked creed i just never really there was a number of bands at that time where to me it was yeah. basically Allison Chains, Stone Temple Pilot, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Those are the those everybody else was like mm, kind of wannabes in my to my ears, which 
right or wrong, I mean, there's pro- I know there's some decent three doors down. So I know there's some good Godsmack songs. I just never got into them album by album like I did with those other bands. I just I tried, but maybe not enough. I don't know. But who's the singer of Alter Bridge? Uh, Miles Kennedy. From Miles Kennedy. Yes, of course. What's Miles Kennedy's job outside of Alter Bridge? Uh, plays with Slash. He's Slash's guy. So here you right. have another guy who likes all the same music we do. Right. Skilled on that higher level, which feeds into, we always peg Creed as being these Pearl Jam knockoff kind of guys when it first came out. But when the first came out. Is, the Creed guys, except for Scott Stapp, were all basically just Van Halen <laughs> classic right, rock right. Guns N' Roses guys cosplaying as like Pearl Jam, early Pearl Jam 2.0. And so they're probably, every time Wolfgang comes in the room, they're probably going, oh my God, that's Eddie's kid. I'm sorry, not Eddie. That's Ed, Ed's kid. Because you can't call him Eddie. I, right, Exactly. That you can don't call him Eddie. Well, I'll tell you, if I know nothing right now, I guarantee you, Wes from Puddle of Mud is going, fuck. So that's all. <laughs> I've interviewed Wes. Those of you who know, know. <laughs> uh, the, I, I forget the name. They're, the new song from Wes and Puddle of Mud is it has Cobain in the title. Right. So he's not letting that go. But what I'm getting at it is I'm excited about things related to Van Halen between Alex's book and Sammy's tour and, and all that. I'm just excited about everyone's activity except Dave. And I, I kind of want to find that thing again that makes me go and remember why I wanted to spend all this time writing a book about Dave. I'm, I'm saying a prayer for the magic of Dave to come back to me. And I'm not sure how that's going to happen. You know what it is? That out. You know what it is? We all live in the past to a degree. I don't want to say live in the past, but we all have such respect and such fondness and we love everything that came before. All the classic Van Halen records, Van Halen with Sammy, right? So at the same, and you love that and you live in there and you don't want those those memories spoiled. But at the same time also, for most of us, I think, for those listening to this podcast, the new stuff excites you. Okay, maybe at this point, it's only the newest thing is going to be it's going to be really cool to hear Joe Satriani playing Van Halen songs and a few Sammy songs. Well, whatever. And the other new stuff is going, wow, we're going to learn some shit. We never learned before through Alex's book in a perfect world. You and I would be talking about the release of the video sessions of the John five tracks where they did like the downtown sessions when they did acoustic stuff. I got a whole, I got a dude, I got a whole fancy. I'll have to roll out to you for the next episode on that note, but this is what we get at the moment and go back. You can spend minute 40 watching uh, James Brown dancing today on Dave's uh, YouTube channel. Go figure. Uh, hurry up and wait. Well, all right. On that well, note, let's get out of here. Uh, thank, thanks to anyone who's still listening. Thanks Steve for reaffirming the positivity and thanks to Van Halen news desk for keeping Van Halen alive in a semi positive light. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>